Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. John chapter number 1. Just by the way I said that, it sounds like we're going to be here a long time, huh? It's not. So, I, I always like to, to pick uh, passages that we can spend several weeks in during our Christmas season. And I was aware of the fact that uh, for 25 years of Christmas sermons, I don't recall ever going through John chapter 1. And you say, well, Matthew has the Christmas sermons, and, and Luke has the Christmas sermons. There's shepherds and wise men and angels and, and Mary and Joseph and all that in those chapters. John chapter 1 is a beautiful chapter at this time of year. It speaks of our Savior as well, but it goes far beyond just his birth in a manger. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks in John chapter 1 together, especially as we work toward verse number 14, which says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heavenly Father, today as we spend time in Your Word, we are diving into a topic that is quite beyond us. It's a topic of the deity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are, are human beings, Lord. We are so limited in our understanding of things. We are, are so limited in our ability to understand. And yet you have written this down for us that we might see it, that we might hear it, that we may know it. And so in your divine wisdom, you have put down the words exactly like they need to be stated for our ability to comprehend. And you've also given, given to us the Spirit to help us as well in our understanding. And thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. As we go into this passage, warm our hearts with it. Show us again the greatness of our Savior and draw us to that place where we worship him once more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The songs that we sing this time of year are full of all kinds of uh, words that we find familiar, uh, but do we know what they mean? Have we stopped to think through even the songs that we sing? Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, 
veiled in flesh the Godhead see. What is that? Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. We don't talk generally like that, do we? Veiled in flesh we see God. Hail the incarnate deity. What is incarnate deity? What's incarnate? In the flesh. Hail the incarnate deity. God in the flesh. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. What's that? Emmanuel. God with us. What a fascinating phrase that is. That, that, of course, is from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We sing those words, and yet, when we stop and think them through, what are we singing about? Who are we singing about? We're singing about God in the flesh. God in the flesh. We're going to spend some time here in John, the first chapter up to verse number 14, but a little piece at a time as we work our way through, we're going to see God. That's our, our desire, a look at the deity of Jesus Christ. Each aspect of these verses, as they set before us, a display of the deity of Christ. And there were some commentaries I, were, I was kind of skimming through a bit as I was thinking through this passage today. John 1, 1 through 5. One said, to teach believing on Christ for salvation proves his deity. If he was a created or finite being, to teach eternal salvation by believing on him is blasphemy. Only God can bring eternal life by belief in himself. So as he said, to teach believing on Christ for salvation proves his deity. Look at these words with me. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him... Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now there are are three clauses right here. Uh, One commentator says, it's really all that is possible for man to realize as the essential nature of the word in relation to time and mode of being, and character. He was in the beginning, he was with God, and he was God. Three very vital statements pointing to the deity of Christ. We're going to start there this morning as we look at these first five verses and see his, his deity, the deity of Jesus Christ, and then a display of that in verse 4 and 5. But first, his his deity is wrapped up in these great thoughts. First, let's talk about his pre-existence. Now, that's quite a thought, even try to wrap your mind around. His pre-existence. Yes, we we have this holiday before us, a, a time that we have marked on our calendar to remember Jesus Christ was born, right? 
We, we picture the manger scene. We picture the, the baby born. We, we, we send out our Christmas cards with nativity scenes on them and such. And, and we focus on the birth of Christ. And we see his humanity. Especially at the Christmas season. We see his humanity. And yet, his is an eternal pre-existence. Those are big words. An eternal pre-existence. In the beginning, it says, was the Word. Now, work with a little verb with me for a minute, because I think it's worthwhile. The word was. Was. In the Greek, we, we talk of this verb, it's the verb to be. It's our is verb. All right? To be. we got is, and we have was. That's past tense concept. But uh, it also speaks of existence. It's more than just to be. It's also to exist. And what's fascinating about this is, um, if I could just take a second for grammar. I hope it doesn't hurt. Uh, we, we speak in the past tense in English. We speak in a singular way. Present tense, future tense, past tense. The beauty of the Greek language is they can spell out the past tense in three different ways. There is the past tense, like we know it, just put an ed on the end of a word, and it's past tense. It's something that happened then, right? It's done, usually it's complete, that concept. There's also another past tense, they call it the perfect tense, which is finished in the past, but it has lasting ramifications. We call it the perfect tense. I call it the permanent tense, all right? Because it's usually wrapped up in words like, you are saved by his power. You are saved at a certain time, but has ramifications that go on and on and on. I like that. Beautiful concept. They have that. But they also have what they call the imperfect tense. That doesn't mean it's, it's inferior in any way. It just means that something hasn't ended, or it doesn't have a beginning or an ending concept to it. It was happening. Right? We don't know if it ever stopped. We don't know if it ever st- where it started. But we know when we look back, it was going on. Right? It's kind of a neat concept because that's the very verb that you're looking at here. And really, we need almost an ing on it, but that wasing doesn't sound right. Alright? In the beginning, was ongoing, was the word. So you mark the beginning as best we can with a calendar. We mark it with a day. We make it, mark it with a time. We mark it with a clock. We mark it with things that we can comprehend. Right? That's our concept of beginning. Our beginning of creation of the world. A day when it actually started, when light appeared. When the earth was formed. When, when man started to breathe. We mark the beginnings in that fashion. What was going on at that moment? He was already. He already was existing. You see the concept? Kind of big. But that's where we start with here. In the beginning of the earth, he was existing. So he predates the earth, right? Certainly in that just alone, as far as we're trying to conceive this, it stretches us quite a ways. But before there was a planet, before there was a universe, before there were stars and sun, before there was anything, he was. That's what it's saying. And even greater than that, if you can even go beyond just concepts of creation, but I believe time is a created thing too. 
Now that really stretches us because how do you think beyond time? How do you, how do you operate before there was any concept of time? And even where time had begun, he already was existing. Powerful thoughts. In the beginning, he was existing. You know, there are people who have issues with that. It's hard for them to comprehend. Like in John chapter 8, for example. Let's go over there. You're going to see a lot of verses today. But in John chapter 8, go over to uh, verse number 50, toward the end, 58, 53. Let's start 53. Jesus is having a conversation with the religious leaders in his day and age. And once in a while, a statement was made that just went way beyond their ability to follow. But usually... They understood perfectly what he was saying of himself. They just didn't like it. And what he said of himself in John 8, says in verse 53, they're they're arguing about their father Abraham. They said, you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him. But I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Ouch. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Ooh, that's a stunning statement. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, look at these next two words, what do they say? I am! Whoa! That's pre-existence. Did they understand that? What did they do in the next verse? They picked up stones to throw at him. Oh, yeah, they understood. He was speaking of his pre-existence. In Colossians chapter number 1, fascinating, fascinating section, uh, verse 14, 15, and on it speaks of Jesus Christ. It identifies him as God. And this is what it says in verse 17. Speaking of of Jesus. Well, no, let's back up. Let's go 16. I like 16 too. We need that too. For by him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him and for him. Now what in verse 16 is left out? Anything created? No, he covered everything, didn't he? He created all things. And then verse 17, here it comes. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He himself existed before all things. You see, we, we head back to Genesis chapter 1 when we talk beginning. But in John, he says, oh no, if you want to talk about the beginning, you have to go and look at your God and see that he existed long before that. His is an eternal pre-existence, an eternal pre-existence. That's a mark of deity, isn't it? Mark that in your thinking. It's a mark of deity. And the Word became flesh. The same Word that became flesh 
was this one that John starts with in the beginning. Pre-existence. Eternal pre-existence. Powerful, powerful thing. A second thing we notice, John chapter 1, verse number 1, is his eternal fellowship. His eternal fellowship with the Father. In verse 1 and verse 2, it says, And the Word was with God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. With God. The idea of with is, is to be near something. Matter of fact, it can literally be translated face to face. In the beginning, the Word was face to face with God. The Word was, was in an intimate and personal and living relationship with God. That's speaking of our Savior with an eternal fellowship with God. And in case you missed it, verse 2 had to double it so you wouldn't. He not only was with God, but verse 2 says it again. The one who was existing in the beginning was face to face with God. He was with God. Now, simple concept. To be existing with somebody implies that they are a separate person. Doesn't it? Logically, that makes sense, doesn't it? If you say, I, I, I live with somebody, doesn't that imply there's two of you? All right. Now, we speak of the doctrine of the Trinity, and generally that involves the three persons of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This passage is not teaching that doctrine in its completeness. It's just giving you the first aspect that we understand, and that is that the Son and the Father are two separate persons. And they dwell together. They're two separate persons, the Father and the Son. And yet they existed together. They're face to face together. From the beginning, when we mark it, look, and they already were existing this way. Eternal fellowship he had with the Father. Eternal fellowship. Later he's going to mention a prayer. John chapter 17. As he's just about to be arrested in the garden just about to be taken and, and spend the whole night in trial before Pilate and, and Caiaphas and all the others, just before they crucify him on a cross, he's praying to his father in the garden. And these are his words from John chapter 17, verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You know what he was longing for? That same thing that he had enjoyed with his father for eternity past, face-to-face fellowship. Face-to-face fellowship. We have that aspect. Now, that's deity. Those who dwell with God, who, who have this eternal fellowship with him, could only be eternal themselves. He is God. The Word was with God. His identity is also in verse number 1. And the Word was God. Word was God. I know this passage is mishandled. It's misunderstood. It's mistranslated. Especially the cults love to work with this because they say, it says the Word was a God. Because it doesn't have a the in the passage. It, it, and so to them, they, they always pounce on that. Really, to be honest with you, they don't know Greek. 
if they had only learned the language, they would have known better. Matter of fact, I've got beginning students. I, I teach a Greek class. So I, I've got beginning students. This is lesson eight. We're on this in the third week of class for a two-year uh, span. In the third week, we're already talking about this very grammatical construction, which is a very logical, easy thing to comprehend. You've got a verb, and you've got two subjects on either side of it, and the verb is to be, that same verb that we're working with, and what sits on either side is like an equal sign. They're pointing at each other. If you like the technical thing, we call it a nominative predicate. It's predicating something. It's establishing something. It's telling you about something. It's saying, this is what this means. It works almost like an adjective. But it's making a very strong statement. The Word is God. That's what it's saying. Not a God, not some little thing, not something. It's the Word is God. It's equal. That's what it says. So when you study the Word, you're studying God. When you're studying God, you're studying the Word. In this sense, they're, they're, they're the same in character. They're the same in essence. They're equal. It's a simple concept, really. And it's a fact that John is stating here. Jesus Christ is God. He is God. It's a fact that He is God. It's shown throughout the Gospel record. We've got the, the, the instances and the, the situations where it shows up that, that Jesus is God and His audience was not ignorant of that. How often did they accuse Him of blasphemy? You saw that in John chapter 8 a few minutes ago. Go over to John chapter 10 for a second. I'll keep you right here in the same book so you see it's consistent. John chapter 10, verse 30. Just one little phrase. I and the Father are one. Woo! I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Did they understand what he said? Oh, look at what he says. Jesus says to them, I showed you many good works from the Father. Of which of these are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Well, they understood it. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. These are the things that John is speaking of as he begins this book. He speaks of who he is in his character, in his essence. He was a display of the deity because he is God. He is God. Now, when you set that first, and really, my words on it in 15 or 20 minutes is hardly scratching the surface. <laughs> it's, a, it's a theme, it's a, it's a teaching that goes far, far beyond what we can do justice to. But what we are dependent on more times than not is, as we like proof, we want actions. We want to see it. You say, okay, you, you give me the doctrine, you give me the teaching, now illustrate it. Show me how it works. I'm like that. This uh, past week I decided, and it was a frightful thing, I've been putting this off for a long time. I decided it was time to clean the fan on my laptop. 
You ever do that before? I put up a, a little YouTube picture, you know, a, a, a teaching uh, um, video of how to clean the fan of the laptop. The first one was all in Japanese or something. And I said, well, that's not going to help me much. And so I found one that was actually exactly like mine and everything too, but the guy never said a word. All I had was his actions there. And I said, okay, I have to trust him. And so slowly I, I followed through. I took that thing apart every single piece. It was frightful. Every time he moved on to the next step, there were pieces all over the place. And I thought, that's scary. And I finally found it. Why they don't just put a little door in the back to get right into it, I don't know. But it wasn't there, and so I had to tear everything off to get to it. Well, I found the fan. I cleaned it up, put it back. I started putting it back together by going backwards with that YouTube video. Right? I'd back up about a minute, and then I'd see it, and then I'd back up a minute, and then I'd see it. And I, had, I was so dependent on that thing to follow through. So each step came out right. And then I finished it all, and I looked at it, and it looked right. And I had one extra screw. And I wasn't sure where that came from. But I pushed the on button, and it worked. Much to my relief. I did it earlier in the day in case I needed to run to Walmart and buy a new laptop. But uh, as, you, as, you, as you might realize, you're talking about something big or new or frightening to you. You say, show me how, right? Show me how. The next two verses are the show me passage. We've got the doctrine. We've got his pre-existence. We've got his eternal fellowship with the Father. And we see his identity. Those are great doctrines. Big doctrines. Incredible doctrines. Now show me his actions. What he does is what only God can do. Look at these next verses. Verse 4. Or verse 3. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. We just saw that in Colossians, didn't we? Same kind of verse. It's the work of creation. Creation. All things came into being by Him. You know, creation is a key consideration for deity. There are two options for us as beings. Either we are creators or we are creations. Which are we? We are creations. I started this research, and maybe you can work on it a little bit too, and, and compare notes with me. But I've gone through the words create in Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament. It is never, and I haven't found it yet, it is never a reference to something man can do. It's always what God does. That word is designed, only God creates. Only God creates. How does that speak of deity? Well, simply this. Because if you're going to create like God, you have to start with nothing. Alright? You have to start with nothing. We have uh, in apologetics this argument concept that the cause and effect, the cause and effect, the cause and effect. And if you go backwards with that, you say, okay, we're in this building. Where did this building come from? Well, somebody built it, all right? What did they build it out of? Well, there's some wood here, I see that, and there's some brick, and there's some plaster, and there's some drywall. And so if we pick any one of those, let's talk about a tree. 
That's where the wood came from. And where did the tree come from? Came from a seed. Where did the seed come from? Came from another tree. How far back do you want to go with this? We just keep walking back until eventually we have to reach some point that something started that seed or that tree, right? You have to go to a place where something had to start it. Because the argument just keeps rolling until you come to a place where there must be a creator who started with nothing. Now that's the fascinating thing about this, because that's exactly what Hebrews says, and that's something that we can only accept by faith. We can only accept it by faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Why do we have to accept that by faith? Because you weren't there. You have to take his word for it, right? Adam wasn't there. He couldn't tell you that either. No one was there. He was there, and God said, I started it out of nothing. The world, as it has for for a great number of years now, opposes creation because when they recognize it, they have to recognize deity. And when they recognize deity, they have to recognize responsibility and accountability. And the world doesn't want to be accountable to a God. They don't want to recognize God. And so they refuse to believe that he creates. But God has already told us about that. In Romans chapter 1, he made it very clear. He said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident for God made it evident for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power his divine nature has been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so they are without excuse For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him, it says. And that's where it gets down to the heart, doesn't it? They would not honor Him. They would not recognize Him. So science, in the meantime, has been trying to manufacture life. We've grown up in that era where there's the test tubes and all the other things, and they're trying to duplicate the idea of making life. But I'll tell you what. All they can work with is already created material. If you want to see if they could really make life, just hand them an empty test tube and say, now, produce life. It would never happen. Why? Because we are not creators. God is. God is the creator. He's the only one that makes life out of nothing. Now, look at John 1-3 again and get the full picture. All things came into being through Him. That's the Word. That's Jesus Christ. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, mark it, nothing came into being that has come into being. Is that a powerful statement of deity? That's the display. That's the display. Creation all around us is the display that Jesus Christ is God. Why do we have to to highlight it this way, though? What's the purpose of highlighting the, the creative ability of Jesus Christ. First, 
as I said, it shows that he is God. Second, this is where it gets rather personal for us. Because he is God and he creates, how do you think we're ever going to become new creatures in Christ? Who do you think does that? Not you, not me. We can't. Only God can do that. And so we can trust him in this department. We call it salvation. But it shows that he can make of us new creatures. He has the ability to give life. Because he is God. He is God. It's displayed. He's the possessor of life. He's the possessor of light, even. Verse 4, verse 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Another display of who he is. A possessor of life. In him was life. It says it so simple in verse 4. We have a need to live. We have built even within us a a self-preservation mechanism. That we would do whatever it takes to live, right? We're we're scratching, we're fighting, we do what we have to do. Living is important to us. When Paul was in Athens, he was walking down in their marketplace area, and there were all these idols set up all over the place. And he was overwhelmed, almost amazed when he said, look at all these idols they worship. And as he's walking through, I I picture it like a cemetery. (laughs) That's the best they were. They were just monuments uh, of nothing. But as he's walking through, he stops and he sees one, and it says, to the unknown God. They don't even know who they're worshiping. They thought they'd better fill in that hole just in case he's out there. And he gets angry because we didn't build him a monument. So they built this one to the unknown God. And Paul walked up to that and looked at it and says, Boy, if you only knew who that God really is. That God you don't know is the God that you need to know. And he talked to to them about him. And he said these words, The God who made the world and all in it, Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, yet he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundary of their habitations, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not from each one, far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He's describing this God. It's Jesus who will say to his disciples one night as they're in that upper room, he says, I am the way. And the truth, and what? The life. I am the way. He's the only way. He's the only truth, and he is the only life. For the vast majority of people on this earth, being alive today, is a merciful action of our God toward us. Merciful that we're alive. But being alive spiritually today, That you are saved by faith in Him is due to His grace. For by grace you are. That's Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you are, having been saved by faith, not of works, 
lest any man should boast. See, our existence is wrapped up in this one who is life. In him is life. He possesses life. You're not going to find it any other source. It's only in him. Why? Because he's God. He has it. He possesses life. He possesses light, too. My time is up. I'm sorry. I've got all these pages to go. Guess what? You want to come tonight? I'll finish it. I'll finish what I started here this morning. Because I want us to see the display of Jesus Christ. I want you to know who he is. It's very important that we know who he is. Who are we worshiping during this holiday season? Who are we celebrating this holiday season. Who was it that was born in a manger? You know, the wise men came in. And when they saw him, they fell down and what? Worshipped him. Why? Ooh, that's a great question. Because they knew he was God? We're going to talk about that. I want to talk to you just for a minute, though, about what you know of him. Your personal relationship with Him. This is not just an event on a calendar. We're not talking about just something that marks in red to give you a couple days off from work. It's not just something to give us a cause to set up decorations and to, to pass out presents. God sent His Son that you might know Him. That you might know Him and the truth. That you might have a relationship with Him. You will not have life any other way but through Christ. You will not have a relationship with the Father any other way but through Christ. You will not receive grace any other way but through Christ. That's why I want to talk to you about Him this month. What we have received is more than what we can even wrap around our our words like a priceless gift. God came in the flesh. Do you know him? Do you know him? As I go into prayer, if you don't, you can call right now. It says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can respond to who he is. You can believe him by faith. You can accept him as your Savior, even as we're spending time in prayer, even while we're thanking him for what he has done. You can turn to the God of the universe and be given life. Heavenly Father, you know every single person in this room and their relationship with you. If there are some among us today who do not know you, do that work that only you can do. Draw them to yourself. Show them again who was born in a manger, who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Show them again that it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to dwell among us. That we might know the Father. That we might know the truth. That we might know life. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room does know Him. But if there's one or two who do not, draw them to Yourself, I pray. And Lord, for the rest of us who do know Him, may this not just be a a ritual that we walk through this time of year, just a a tradition, just a a celebration that... uh, has all the outward trappings, but our hearts are not activated. Work in our hearts that we might worship our Savior at this time of year. 
that we might be the examples of those who have been saved by God's life and light, and that we might be lights to the world around us as you have designed us to be. This is a great time of year, especially a great time of year, that we can openly wear our faith and show people that we know Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We belong to Him, and we love Him. Do your work in our hearts too, we pray. Draw us to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.